going once. If you do, hold up your hand, get it up high. Right here, down the middle, Don. Before we get into the word this morning, uh, one of our elders, Doug Brown, has an announcement to make. Well, good morning. Uh, as you know, it's uh, Christmas time, and as Andrew Holbrook very ably said last week, we'd like to honor our staff at this time, if, if we can. Um, they all work really hard through the year, and I think you know them all from Jesse, Wayne, Brad Worship, John on um, Youth, Brad Franklin, uh, administrative, pa- administrative pastor, and ably backed up by Pam uh, in the office. So uh, if you feel led, uh, we just ask that um, you might put an extra uh, contribution in, in the box and uh, we, that will go to the awards the staff bonus. So, uh, as the Lord leads, we pray that you'll do that and uh, give our staff a great boost. Thank you. Thanks. And I was told that Johnny and Jordan Wong are here this morning. Oh, there they are. You want to stand up? Johnny and Jordan are missionaries that we support in Basque Country in Spain. Welcome. I didn't recognize you with the Colin Kaepernick hairdo. Good to have you with us. God bless you both. And again, Johnny and Jordan serve the Basque Country in Spain, and your tithes and offerings given to this church, part of that goes to their support, as well as we'll make this announcement once more. There is fresh coffee out in the foyer. I think there's only two bags of ground left. The rest of it is freshly roasted beans. This is our coffee brand, uh, our label, Common Grounds Coffee, and it's used to support Sierra Bible Church missions. It's $15 a bag, and part of that goes back to the grower who is in Nicaragua, and then we use the rest to support Sierra Bible Church missions around the world. And the coffee's... Is fresh. It was just ground last week, and so um, what's out there is out there, and we won't be grinding anymore until after the first of the year. So grab yourself some Christmas coffee. Let's. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. In your bulletin, there is a study guide, and the study guide starts off with Psalm 98. And we're going to read responsively this morning. Does anybody remember what a responsive reading is? I will read and then you'll respond. And then I'll read and you'll respond until we get all the way through the passage, which this morning is Psalm 98. So if you would stand with me, as to get today, we really are going to read it together. Are you ready? Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. 
Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and sound of melody. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell in it. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. And Father, as we come this day, this third Sunday of Advent, celebrating you coming into this world, dear Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that uh, in the midst of this busy season that we can settle down here for a while. Take a deep breath, and as we have already looked at the hope that is found in Advent, and the peace that is found in Advent, we want to find today the joy of Advent. And so, Spirit of the living God, have your way in this room. Have your way in the hearts of your people. Speak once again, I pray, through these lips of clay. More than anything, reveal your blessed, glorious self to us today. The one who, in whom we find hope and peace and joy and love. Not in the way the world promises, but in the way the eternal Father of the universe promises through the gift of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to us all. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Amen. You may be seated. You know, there's some Sundays, you know, that I I move to this pulpit and there's a, a sense of confidence And there's other Sundays I come up here trembling. And uh, I think it was Leonard Ravenhill that said, we need to remember that as preachers, we are dying men preaching to dying people. (laughs) And someone else has exhorted to preach every sermon as if it were the last sermon you're ever going to preach. As I've been walking and praying this morning, that has been my prayer. Yesterday, I did something that has been on my bucket list for many years, and it finally got happened. I got to be a Salvation Army bell ringer yesterday morning. I have longed to do that. I love the Salvation Army. I love their work, and I finally found a way to get my toe in the door and spent yesterday morning in a Salvation Army apron with a Salvation Army kettle and a bell in my hand ringing out front of Cabela's. And I'll tell you what, it's not only a great joy, it's a real exercise in just watching people. I'm a people watcher. You know, when I travel, I like to, I pray for layovers. Because I love to sit in airports and just watch the people come and go. And you sense and you feel the emotion. You can see those that are going are usually a little sadder than those who are coming. 
And, and yesterday, just watching the thousands of people, literally, that went in and out of that store yesterday morning, and watching the various moods and watching the people, and, and, and uh, some of them wouldn't even look at me. You know, they know you're there, but other ones go, and then other ones, you know, I don't know if you read the paper or heard the news, but day before yesterday, one of the kettles in Reno had a, a Krugerrand in it. Somebody stuck an African Krugerrand that was worth whatever an ounce of gold is worth today. And those are fun stories to hear, but again, uh, trying to take in Advent this year and see it from ways I haven't seen it before and, and discover it from ways I haven't discovered it before. And, and that discovery comes into my message this morning because two weeks ago when I was speaking on hope, I, I mentioned to you that Advent signals the coming of Christ to the Christian world. And we have deliberately in the last few years begun to emphasize Advent because it's four Sundays before Christmas where, where we're, Pastor Jesse and I try to get everyone to slow down a little bit. And rather than grabbing Christmas in one day on the 25th, extending it back to where we can take time to contemplate and to contemplate deeply what it is God has done and what it is he is doing. And Advent signals the coming of Christ to the Christian world, both his nativity as well as his second coming. And we are called in the season of Advent to be anticipating both. One of the most celebrated hymns of Christendom was written by Isaac Watts in 1719, and he titled it, Joy to the World. And though millions of people sing this great hymn at Christmas time, celebrating the wonderful news of the incarnation and declaring, let earth receive her king and let every heart prepare him room, most people would be surprised to learn that this is not a Christmas carol at all. It is rightly sung during Advent, but the theme of joy to the world is the second coming of Christ, not the first. Many of the hymns that were written by Isaac Watts found their source of inspiration from the Psalms. Joy to the world is based on the psalm that we have just read together. Joy to the world is based on Psalm 98, which is a declaration of creation's joy when the Lord comes back to ultimately rule over and to judge his creation. When we sing joy to the world, which we're going to here in just a little bit, when we sing joy to the world, the Lord is come, it applies to Bethlehem, but it also reminds us that the Christmas story is far from over. There are promises yet to be fulfilled Earth has yet to fully receive her king. One day, he's coming back. The third verse of Joy to the World says, No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. The Lord Jesus Christ left his throne in glory and came to this earth for this specific purpose, to reverse the curse. 
He came to reverse the curse. This verse is about a promised new creation. Today, we live in the hope of that promise, even as we look to Bethlehem at this Christmas time. But as Pastor Jesse pointed out last Sunday, this is one of those already not yet subjects. The Lord has come, but the Lord is also coming. He has come. There's an already aspect to the story of the Lord Jesus Christ and his redemptive glory. But there is yet a part that is yet to come. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Already, not yet. Already, not yet. Look carefully at the reference to the curse. Christ's victory over sin is declared to extend far as the curse is found. I think there's some questions we need to answer this morning. What curse? How far does it extend? Where is it found? Well, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, because it's in Genesis chapter 3 that the curse is found. The curse that is being written about by Isaac Watts in this great old hymn. In Genesis chapter 3, this passage follows Adam and Eve's eating of the forbidden fruit from the forbidden tree. In this passage, they are now standing toe-to-toe with their creator, and they are about to learn the consequences of of their disobedience, the consequences of their sin. The first thing that God does is he curses the serpent who brought the temptation. Chapter 3, verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Uh, This, if you do not recognize it, is the very first promise of Messiah. That God, through the seed of woman, will break the back of Satan. In the movie, the, the, Passion, the, the Mel Gibson movie, what was that called? Was it called The Passion of the Christ? One of my favorite places in that is where Jesus is in Gethsemane and this serpent starts slithering across and he grinds his heel on its head. That's this verse. Satan would momentarily bruise Christ's heel, but what Christ would do would crush His head. Then God went on and cursed the woman. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. God then cursed Adam. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife 
and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This curse that was spoken in these verses through Adam extended to the whole human family. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, so that death spread to all men, that includes everyone in this room, because all have sinned. When we were born, we not only got the DNA of mom and dad in the, in the bargain, the sin of Adam was extended to us as well, and we were born in sin, conceived in iniquity, and brought forth in sin. In Genesis 3.19, God told Adam that we are created from the dust, and that to that dust we will return one day, because the wages of sin is death. That was God's word to Adam and Eve. In the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Now it's not just Adam and Eve and the serpent. All creation is under the effects of the curse. Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam is told. Thorns infest the ground because of Adam's sin. The curse is God's righteous judgment against sin. And the effect of the curse is death. The curse has fallen upon us all as human beings because of Adam's sin. And then because of our own, all have sinned. In Adam we all sinned. In Adam we will all die. Where is the curse found? Everywhere we look. We see the curse. We see it its effects. How far does it extend? To every molecule of creation and to every square inch of the planet. That's how far the curse is found. Every place you see cancer growing is the extent the curse is found. Every place you see man abusing man, that is the extent that the curse is found. Where you find war and where you find famine and where you find poverty, the curse is found. We have a young couple in our church that just returned from Southern California, Joe and Amy Kraft, where Joe's sister and her fiancé were murdered last week by the fiancé's brother. My brothers and sisters, that's the curse. That's the curse. The curse just didn't extend to Adam and Eve. It extended to all of creation. And most importantly, every single human being is found under its curse. And this is what Paul said, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
You see that word, all? Anybody remember what it means? Is there anybody in this room that can wiggle out from under that verse? I think not. If this is true, then how can we sing about joy to the world? Well, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. I just finished teaching this blessed book on Sunday nights. Boy, Galatians came alive for me in these last few months like it had never come alive for me before. But in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, we read, Christ redeemed us from the curse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit. And how do we receive it? Through faith. We receive it through faith. You see, all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse. All who are relying on their own good efforts to position themselves in some, some good position before God. All humanity is born under the curse because all humanity was born under the law. When Paul originally penned these words, his audience would have immediately understood where the argument came from. What Paul is arguing here comes from Deuteronomy 27 and 28. At the end of a series of curses which God delivered from Mount Ebal, we find the most comprehensive curse of them all. Cursed be everyone who does not conform to the words of this law by doing them. For you and I as Christians, for, well, for the world, what is God's law? It's the Ten Commandments. It's, it's the, the commandments that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. The first commandments speak of our responsibility as individuals to God. And the rest of them speak of our responsibility as individuals to mankind. Starting out with our mother and father. Extending to our wives and husbands. Extending to our friends. That's God's law, the Ten Commandments. And cursed is everyone who does not conform. Is, how many in here this morning have perfectly kept the Ten Commandments all of your life? No? And then, and then you know, I, I remember, <laughs> this is terrible, when, the, when uh, Miller Light Beer first came out, that, there was kind of a buzzword, you know, it's light. And, and not only did the Miller Company grab a hold of light, a lot of other people did too, you know. It was light this, and it was light that, and it was light this. And I remember seeing a cartoon about inviting people to the light church where there's only a 7% tithe, and we only use six of the Ten Commandments. Your choice. No, we're all under the curse. And James makes it even worse by saying, if you break one of the ten, you're guilty of all ten. We're in the same boat here this morning, people. We're in the same boat. 
We're in the same boat. We are born under the curse. We are cursed by the curse. And obedience to the law does not help us escape the curse. So where is the good news? Where is joy to the world? Well, it's found in verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming the curse himself for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. What we as sinners could not do and cannot do for ourselves, Christ has done for us. He removes the curse. He removes the power of the law to condemn us any longer. How? By taking upon himself the curse. God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, came to this world in the form of a man. He clothed himself in flesh and blood, and he dwelt among us. And then this sinless Son of God, he perfectly kept that law. He perfectly kept those Ten Commandments. Then this sinless Son of God became sin for us so that we might now be clothed with his righteousness. This is one of the greatest exchanges the world has ever known or ever will know. This is my favorite verse in the New Testament. He made him, or it would be, the Father made the Son who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. As a Christian, when you stand before your heavenly Father, you stand in a robe of righteousness. It's like Jesse said last week, we are saved by works, just not our own. We're saved by the works of another. One who took on my sin, took on my penalty upon himself and carried it to the cross. Jesus became a curse for us by hanging on the cross. And on the cross, Christ died our death in our place. He bore our sin and he redeemed us from the curse. How do we know that God the Father accepted his son? Son's sacrifice on our behalf. Well, the Bible tells us that on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And that's the proof of the pudding, my brothers and sisters. That's the proof of the pudding that, that the Father accepted Jesus' sacrifice for me. He accepted it for you. Jesus came forth from the grave. The crucified Christ rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death and hell. And Paul concludes that all this took place so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. What is the blessing of Abraham? Well, it says in the Old Testament, it says it throughout Galatians, Abraham was justified by faith. No longer by the works of the law, no longer jumping through the hoops. Someone else on your behalf has kept it all perfectly. And then in your stead laid down his sinless life for you. But he says something else here. And I don't want us to miss it this morning. 
Not only have we been justified by faith through this wonderful gift, he says that we also receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. On the birthday of the church, God's Holy Spirit was poured out upon those in the upper room and upon every subsequent believer from that day to this when they come to faith in Christ. God gives them as believers in Christ his Holy Spirit. And it's not just a chunk of or something like. It says that it's the very same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. When Christ's cold, dead body laid in a cave outside of Jerusalem, on the third day, God, as he did to Adam in the Garden of Eden, 